I truly believe, Holly, that there are only two types of people in the world. There are passengers and there are pilots. All we need to do is make the choice with which one we're going to be. And I think that some people in this world use their pain, suffering and hardship as the justification to why they fail in life. And there are those that use the exact same pain and suffering as the motivation to succeed. And I think that it is so important that we realize that life is all about the choices that we make that dictate the incredible life that we get to live. Hi there, I'm Holly Ransom and welcome to Coffee Pods. It's time to fire up your day with some fuel for change. We run on a simple hypothesis here that the humble act of grabbing a coffee with someone inspiring is all that it takes to tap into your ability to go out and be the change that you want to see in the world. Coffee Potters, our guest today is one of the most sought-after inspirational speakers in the world. I'm talking about Michael Crossland, an extraordinary man who's defied the odds many times over, including that of a life-threatening cancer as a baby, uh, surviving a horrific drug trial as a young child, and several serious illnesses subsequently. In fact, he continues to battle to this very day, having spent nearly a quarter of his life in hospital. But you wouldn't know it. He is one of the most upbeat, enthusiastic guys, and I'm really eager to delve into the lessons he's learned from the adversity he's had to face. Here's Michael. Well, Michael Crossland, I'm so pumped to finally get the opportunity to have this conversation, having kind of followed your unbelievable career for such a long period of time. Thank you so much for making the time to have a chat. My pleasure and incredibly kind words. It's great to, uh, great to be on the, on the line having a chat with you. So, I mean, I don't want to give too much context for the story that's going to unfold because your life has been quite a remarkable journey. But a lot of it was shaped by experiences that started for you straight, straight out of the bat as a very, very young kid. What do you recall of your early childhood? Can you take us there? Yeah, I think I learned at a very young age that it's not the adversity in your life that defines you. It's really about how you deal with it that allows you you live a remarkable life and I know that yourself Holly and and everybody that's listening we all have a story Uh, we all have challenges we all have pain and suffering but I think that it's not the suffering that is so different um, but rather the solutions that allow us to to really transform our lives and my journey began as uh, as a what we thought was a healthy little 11 month year old boy uh, heading heading off to uh, the doctors with my mum and my sister. My sister had an ear infection, and five and a half years later, I finally got to go home. I um, I did something very innocent in the doctor's room. I, I gave him a big hug, and as you know, Holly, I'm much more of a hugger, not a handshake. You are a big hugger. And yeah. I gave the <laughs> I gave the doctor a big hug, and um, his knee brushed my stomach. He thought that didn't feel right. I was taken to Coffs Harbour Hospital that night. I was airlifted to the Sydney Hospital. And the following morning, I was diagnosed with an incurable cancer of the central nervous system called neuroblastoma stage four. Uh, The doctors told my mum that there was no chance of survival and to take her little boy home. But uh, as you all know, um, life is all about choices. And the choices that we make each day can help reshape and remould and redefine our future. And my mum asked one question, and that was, I don't want to know what the chances are of my son dying. I want to know what the chances are of my son surviving. The doctor said I had a 96% death rate to go home and I'm just so glad every day that my mum chose to look at my life not being 96% empty but she chose to look at my life being 4% full and I started chemo my first birthday. My chemo cycle was nine days on, uh, three days off, not for weeks or months but for years. I was on that same cycle until my fourth birthday and the doctor came in and said, 
Kerry, we're sorry the treatment's no longer doing the job. The tumour has built a resistance. It has now taken over half your son's body. It's growing up uh, into his uh, aorta, his spine. It's, it's crushing his heart. We need to go into surgery. Uh, we went into surgery and six hours later, the doctors came out and said to my mum, Kerry, we're, we're sorry we didn't get it all. And that was, um, that was the day my beautiful, sweet mum thought that she'd lost her little boy. But the next day, there was an American doctor. He was over in Australia trying a test drug. He was trying it on 25 patients. He'd already had 24 candidates. And he asked my family whether we wanted to be number 25. And as you know, um, outside of love, I believe that hope is one of the most powerful words in the English dictionary. If you can instill hope into somebody's life, you can instill courage, determination, uh, tenacity. It's, uh, it's amazing what you can achieve with just, just a little bit of hope. So we obviously started that drug with, with 24 other families, um, but the side effects of that drug were horrific. Within one day, we were all transferred from the oncology ward to the burns unit. Uh, the after effects burnt us from head to toe. We were covered in blisters. They would wrap us up in bandages and lie us in bars full of ice, trying to prevent our brains from, from frying. But um, unfortunately, 24 out of 25 of those kids uh, passed away. And I was, the, I was the lone survivor. And I say to people all around the world, Holly, that I feel like I'm one of the lucky ones. And it's not because I'm still alive, but it's, um, but it's because I wasn't my mum. You know, my mum had to make a choice to inject a drug into a child that has killed every single person ever taken it. She, she had to go to death counselling once a week for two hours to deal with what was going to happen to a little boy. So, you know, I am incredibly blessed and incredibly fortunate to still be here. Obviously, the after effects of that drug have taken its toll. I've had many challenges along the way. I had my first heart attack when I was 12, another one when I was 18. I was very, very unwell again eight years ago with bacterial meningitis, got fluid on the brain, and, and I'm sure... Throughout this conversation, we will talk a little bit more about what happened a couple of years ago. But, um, you know, I'm just incredibly, incredibly blessed, incredibly fortunate to still be here and now have the incredible opportunity to travel the world and share it with people is, um, you know, I, I feel very, very fortunate. Just thinking about your mum's frame, I mean, Michael, that's quite a remarkable start to life. And I can only imagine the bond that was formed between you and your parents and, and particularly by the sounds of it, your mum with with everything you shared through those unbelievably challenging times. But I just love your mum's frame around, you know, talk to me about the 4% chance my son's got to live. Uh, mm. You can think listening to you talking about all those moments that happened, even just before you're 12, let alone, you know, the, the challenges you face subsequently. At what point do you start to ask yourself, geez, I feel like this luck's got to be about something. There's got to be a reason I'm here. How, how come I'm the one in the 25 that hangs around? You know, was there an age and stage where you started to question how come all these challenges are happening, but somehow to your positive disposition, um, I keep finding a way to still be around. I keep finding a way to make it through. There must be a bigger purpose for what I'm meant to do while I'm on the planet. Yeah, I think there's a, there's a discovery moment for all of us. And for me, my mum instilled an incredible perspective on life at a very young age. I, I know that she taught me as a young man that it is not the adversity in your life that defines you, it's how you deal with it. She also taught me that no one in your life is ever going to tell you what you can do. They'll only ever tell you what you can't do. And it's your choice whether you choose to listen to that negativity or whether you can believe in yourself and realise that anything is possible. Um, you know, at the, at the age of uh, six, when I was finally allowed to go home, the doctor said to my mum, your son, he will never go to school. He'll never play sport. He'll be a housebound baby. And if he reaches his teenage years, it'll be a miracle. And she comes through the curtains and I said, what did the doctor say? And she said, oh, the doctors told me that everything was going to be okay. <laughs> at the age of 12, <laughs> when I had my heart attack, they, yeah, they said I'd never play sport. 
And yet again, my mum come through the curtains and I said, what did the doctor say? And uh, she responded with the doctors told me that everything was going to be okay. And then two years later, I got a chance to play for Australia and went to America and, you know, got a chance to, to live my dreams of playing baseball in the States and moved over there and went to college. And so it's amazing what you can achieve when you believe. And sometimes that one person on the planet that you need to believe in is, is yourself. The person looks back at you in the mirror. But to your question, Holly, I think that when I realized that those dark days were my discovery moments and, and those moments we do not discover how unfair our life is, but rather we begin to discover how powerful we have been created was probably around three and a half years ago when I got very, very unwell again and they found four tumours in my throat and they said that I wouldn't make Christmas and I finally was in a position to, to repay that favour to my mum when she asked me what did the doctors say and I told her that everything was going to be okay. I, I realised that the quality of one's life is not dictated nor is it determined by the amount of days that we live on this earth but rather what we fit into those days. And I also discovered that sometimes we need to embrace the coolness of the shadows before we can actually truly enjoy the warmth of the sunshine. And that was the moment in my life where I thought, geez, maybe, maybe I do have a greater purpose. Maybe I can make a greater impact. Uh, maybe I'm one of those very blessed, fortunate people that have been carried through the darkness as opposed to walk, walking alone. And you know, that's when, as you know, I've really committed my life to serving other people. I, I have a school now in Haiti. We have 270 children go to my school. I've got an orphanage where I look after 41 beautiful, incredible little babies that have taught me so much about life. They've certainly instilled what optimism and resilience and courage is and what it looks like and, and how never, ever giving up looks like. But they've also taught me some really, you know, powerful, powerful lessons that I live my life by, like when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. These kids have got nothing, no iPads, no iPhones, no mum, no dad, no nothing. And they woke up this morning and they thought they had everything. And the reason why they thought they had everything is because they woke up this morning. And when you really live that practice, when you think about that saying and, and that story, you think, wow, these, these kids who have got nothing are not existing. They're truly living. And for me to be able to have been instilled with courage and optimism as a baby through my mum's outlook on life and now being able to in some tiny little way give back to the world I, I really understand that the saying the more you give the more you shall receive is wrong the saying should be the more you give expecting nothing in return the more you shall receive and I think that the philosophy on life that we all must live is that we must give without remembering and receive without forgetting I love that philosophy. I think that's such a great decision to, to live life with. And I so resonate with what you're saying about the, the children you're working with. I recall working in Africa um, on a microfinance project a few years ago. And the, you know, I think it's very easy coming from um, circumstances of privilege, which I think in the Western world we all too often do. And when we go over to countries like that, assuming that we're there to save the day and to help and to fix all the problems. And uh, and to a degree, there's a role for you to play, absolutely. You know, relative economic standards and, and the like, we, we have a responsibility, I think, to help lift others up. But it was interesting to me, I came away from that experience going, they are so much richer in community than I feel like we are <laughs> because they're the joyful life and the support and everything you just kind of mentioned there, I, I was truly astounded by and I thought, wow, that in, in so many respects there's a richness that we have so much to learn from. So I, com I completely agree. It's so inspiring 
um, the perspective that you get from working with individuals and, and young people for that matter like that. In that environment and working with these people that have got absolutely nothing, I realised that your self-worth does not equal your net worth and your net worth doesn't determine your self-worth because these kids are so incredibly rich with happiness, with gratitude, with appreciation towards life, yet they don't know where their next meal is coming from. And that, that's just such a powerful thought. And, you know, the, third, the, the first world problems that we complain about every single day is just incredible. And there are people in this world that would do anything to have your bad day. And the more that we can <laughs> yeah, shift perfect. our mindset and instill greater perspective within our hearts, the greater impact we can have on life, but also the greater life we get to live. Because now we're not complaining about the small stuff, we're appreciating the little stuff. And this might be part of your answer to this, but I wanted to ask you about kind of mentally how you, how you have learnt to deal with adversity. I mean, you, you take us back to a couple of years ago when you find out that you're facing yet another challenge. This time there's four, four tumours that you um, have shown up on your scan. How is it, what have you learnt over the years? Because I, I feel like we're talking about adversity and resilience a lot now and how mm-hmm. important they are for people being able to just, just um, to live in this rapidly changing and ever-demanding world. But they're very easy words to throw around without necessarily um, people having much of an idea of how they cultivated it or whether they're in the moment. What, what is it they can lean on? What can they turn to to kind of build that muscle rapidly to support themselves? How do you think about adversity and resilience and what, if any, advice or lessons do you have for our listeners? Yeah, I think that perspective is the key. Regardless of how bad your day is, there's always someone out there in the world that has it worse off than you. And the more that you can instill that into your, your, your frontal lobe that you think about on a day-to-day basis, the more powerful you will become. But I also believe that there is a routine, there's a daily routine that I live my life by that has had a profound impact on my ability to live life with optimism and and resilience. And one of the things that I think of on a day-to-day basis is that I wake up each day and believe that something amazing is going to happen. Truly, something incredible is going to happen. So I walk and I work and I strive during the day to identify what that incredibly amazing thing is. And then when I go to bed of a nighttime, if I think that nothing truly amazing happened, I reflect on what happened this morning and I realize that something did amazing, amazingly incredible happen and that was you know I I woke up this morning and I think that the more that we can reflect on the joy and the gift that we have every morning that we wake up is is remarkable but my daily routine and and I know you may have seen it on social media last week but I shared it uh, in just a very small picture and it was motivate meditate appreciate and participate and there are my four key components to my daily life ritual Um, of a morning I need to motivate myself I need to get the blood flowing um, and whether it's go for a walk, whether it's go for a run, anything, you know, it was incredible. I've been doing some research recently around uh, childhood cancer. And they were saying that if children participate in activity whilst going through chemotherapy, the survival rate dramatically increases purely through exercise. Wow. So now they're providing Fitbits to young kids in hospital to ensure they stay active whilst having treatment to get a greater outcome through their, their cancer journey, which is, which is phenomenal. So that's just and talking about the when benefits as well to mental health and the like. I mean, there's, there's nothing not good about getting everyone up and moving and particularly young kids. Yeah, and, and I think it's such an easy answer, yet people find it so difficult to mm. make time and create time for it. And the second one is meditate. You know, for me, that's been a real big game changer for me to not, uh, not silence my mind, but quiet my mind and 
rather than um, listening to myself, I need to start talking to myself. And I think there's a really big difference between the two because sometimes when we listen to ourselves, all we do is listen to negativity. When we start talking to ourselves, we can be proactive in what we want to feed ourselves with what type of positivity that can help us get through this. It's easy to say I'm not going to make it. And it's easy to listen to that and think that life's not fair. And if you think life's not fair, then absolutely it's not. But if we can tell ourselves, as my mum taught me as a young boy, everything's going to be okay, it's incredible what we can deal with and what we can get through. So that's the second thing. And then the third thing was about appreciate. For me, it's about a gratitude journal every day. I realise through a lot of study that you can rewire your brain to focus on the positive things that are in our lives. So every day I document down on a journal what are the three things that I am truly grateful for? You know, and yesterday, one of them was I managed to score a park right out the front of the post office, which made it very, (laughs) very easy for me to post some books that were bought yesterday through the website. So I was stoked. I was really excited because it made it very easy for me to, I didn't even have to turn the car off. I just jumped out, dropped them in the red post office box and drove off. And I think that we forget, we forget to be grateful for the little things that occur in our life. And and, uh, and then the last one is just participate. And that's actually, actively get out in the world and do something. Strive to make a difference and an impact on other people's lives. And I realize that success is not about how big your house is. Success is about how big your heart is. Success is about getting out of bed every day and knowing in your heart that you can make a difference in somebody else's life. So that last one is, you know, it's really important. Participate actively in making it a positive contribution to the world. I love that. What four great anchors. And the comment about the heart at the end there, just, I I mean, you've got an enormous heart. It's one of the things I adore about you. And I know that you're such a doting husband. You are such a loving father. Um, Tell us about Lockie and what uh, him coming into your world has meant, uh, has meant and how it's changed your outlook. Yeah, that's been the hardest, certainly without a doubt, the hardest challenge of my life. Um, We were told for the listeners that don't know, we were told that we'd never be able to have kids so we, um, we opened an orphanage and, and, you know, as I said earlier, we have 41 of the beautiful, cutest little babies that we get a chance to look after uh, 365 days a year. But in 2017, after many years of IVF, we were uh, so fortunate to announce to the world that we were expecting a little baby the end of February. But um, on the 8th of December, my wife had a lot of back pain and... Um, then four days later in Sydney Hospital, we had a beautiful little boy named Lachlan James who, who, was, uh, who was very early um, and he only weighed 2.8 pounds and he was very, very unwell. He was taken to in intensive care unit level three and um, he was fighting for his life every day and every day he just seemed to get stronger and stronger and then um, four weeks in ICU, they told us that we were very fortunate to be able to take our little boy back to our local hospital in Coffs Harbour. So we were airlifted back to Coffs and um, we were celebrating with family and friends and uh, we left the hospital, had to leave our little boy behind, unfortunately, because he wasn't allowed to come home until his due date, which was still another eight weeks away. And uh, that night we, we settled down after everybody had left and my wife sat in the nursery and just stared at the cot that was empty, just a broken mum wanting her little boy to be home. And then um, yeah, and then about three o'clock in the morning, the phone rang and it was the doctors telling us that we needed to come very quickly. And we, uh, we got in the car, we drove to the hospital and um, he took me into a room um, by myself and he told me that uh, they believed our little boy had an illness called sepsis. Um, 
they told us that we probably had four days with him and to uh, enjoy those moments. And um, I walked out and my wife, um, my wife was holding our little boy and she said, what did the doctor say? And I've, I got to repeat those words my mum taught me as a boy and told her that everything was going to be okay. We were, we were airlifted back to Sydney Hospital that, um, that same evening and he stopped breathing twice on the plane. Sadly, on the way to Sydney, he was resuscitated twice in front of us. And I realised so quickly that um, it's so much easier to be in the bed than lying next to it. Mm. And um, I walked for the first time in my life a day in my mum's shoes. and. Um, it was it was it was really rough, but every day he got stronger and stronger, and um, he managed to pull through. I, I remember capturing his first smile, and mm. God, it was just the most beautiful moment as a man to be able to whew, see that beautiful little boy that you love more than anything in the world, with so much peace and so much joy, just looking up at his mummy. And yeah, now we uh, now we look back on those on those many, many struggling months. And he's 20 months old now. He's just the cutest little boy. He, uh, excuse my language, but he shits more than we can imagine. <laughs> he, uh, he, he eats more than we can imagine. But I got to tell you, Ollie, we, uh, Couldn't be happier. we love him. We yeah. love him more than we could ever imagine. And we are just so truly grateful that God has, that has given us a gift, a gift of life and, and uh, so, much, so much amazing joy. And, and, and as you spoke about before, you know, Perspective is such a powerful thing when, you know, I, I love that saying, I cried when I didn't get a new pair of shoes until I saw a boy that had no feet. You know, sometimes mm. when we compare our adversities and our challenges, our pain and our suffering to other people, we quickly begin to realize how lucky we are to have what we have. Oh, I love that. I, it just, he must, he's got his dad's fighting spirit, doesn't he? I mean, the parallels, <laughs> the, the extraordinarily challenging ways that you two started life. I mean, all that I can say is I think it bodes for the impact that he, he's going to have in the world because he's here with, with a purpose and for a reason to have gotten through those challenging moments. And I'm just so glad for all of you as a family that um, I gather from when we spoke the other week, there's a clean bill of health at the moment. Your little man is fighting fit and, and growing day by day, which is just wonderful to hear. Um, you bet. Ah, that's awesome. And, and please give um, my best to your better half as well. <laughs> I'm very thrilled. I will. Um, all's well on that front. I, I've got to ask, I mean, with all those, those challenges, one of the things that I love about what you've been able to do is to turn that adversity into motivation and inspiration for so many. I mean, the lives that you touch all around the world year on year is something quite remarkable. Um, I love seeing you do what you do. I love watching the ripple effect of the change that you're creating. You've worked with some of Australia and the world's, you know, top sporting teams, um, companies as, as a motivational coach, helping them kind of tap in to their own fuel and passion. For those who are listening who are maybe trying to unlock that, that next echelon in themselves or are struggling right now to kind of connect and, and get out of bed with a sense of purpose, what suggestions or advice have you got for, for them based on, on what you've observed and, and kind of um, come to believe over the course of your life and, and what you share with others? Yeah, thank you for that. And, you know, I, I feel incredibly humbled and uh, I can't believe that an ordinary old Aussie bloke that's faced his fair share of adversities now gets to travel the world and speak to just, just phenomenal human beings and people that are at the elite of whatever it is, whether they're the CEO or of of, uh, of incredible companies or pro athletes and everything in between. You know, I someone said to me, who's your target market? And I said, oh, anybody that's breathing. Because, you know, one day I can speak to the 
you know, the New York Mets or the Toronto Blue Jays or the Philadelphia Eagles or the Melbourne Storm. And then the next day I'll be speaking to a group of year six students at a, at a school in Sydney, you know. So it's, um, you know, it's very universal and I, I feel incredibly fortunate. But I think that back to your point, if, if, there's, if there's things that we can take away, I, I truly believe, Holly, that there are only two types of people in the world. There are passengers and there are pilots. And all we need to do is make the choice with which one we're going to be. And I think that some people in this world use their pain, suffering and hardship as the justification to why they fail in life. And there are those that use the exact same pain and suffering as the motivation to succeed. And I think that it is so important that we realize that life is all about the choices that we make that dictate the incredible life that we get to live. And all we need to do is make the choice to, uh, to choose to live a great life. I think that the greatest lesson that I've learned in the world that we live in is too often we wait until it's too late before we decide to change. We wait until we're diagnosed with lung cancer before we think maybe we should stop smoking. Mm. We wait until we're diagnosed with diabetes, for example, before we change our diet. We sadly wait until we lose someone that we love before we decide to tell them that we love them. And Why do you think we wait? I think that it's almost like we, we get in this routine, almost like a rut, where we actually just go through the motions as opposed to truly living our lives. And sadly, we, you know, we, we need a little wake-up call from now, for, you know, now and again to actually get us to truly start to live the life that we need to live. And I, I'm very fortunate that I've been sick my entire life. And I know that sounds like a weird saying that I'm fortunate that I've been sick all my life because there's never been a day that I don't, you know, truly, truly appreciate. And it's amazing that when we're healthy, we have hundreds and hundreds of dreams and goals and visions every day of our lives. But when we're sick, we just have one. You know, I wake up every morning and I cannot believe that I'm alive, that I'm healthy and I can get out of bed because there are many days, as you know, I physically can't get out of bed and, I, and I'm hurting and, and life gets really tough. And all I do whilst I'm in that state of mind is think I can't wait until I'm healthy again. It's so powerful, that single almost overarching thought, isn't it, in many ways, that degree of focus. You're right. Like it's so easy to take things for granted, but also I think to not have that degree of clarity where almost every ounce of your being is mobilized towards a one singular objective, which is I want to get out of bed. I want to be well for the people I love and that love me. I want to walk again, whatever way that it might be framed, depending on the particular barrier you're facing. It, it's so singularly focused, isn't it, in those moments? Yeah, absolutely. And, 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 you know, your question before about why, why do you think we wait? You know, I, I wish we had the answer, but I think that the more people can listen to these types of interviews and podcasts and realise, you know what, I'm not going to be the person that waits. You know, today is a new day. Today can be the first day of the rest of my life and I'm going to make that choice right here, right now to say, that's it. You know, the world that I want to live is going to be, a, is going to be from now on. And I deserve to live a great life. I deserve to surround myself with positive people. I deserve to be optimistic towards the challenges that I face. And I want to be the pilot. I want to steer my life in the direction I want to take it as opposed to what other people perceive I should do. 
I love that notion. I think you're so right. It has to start with you. And then the, the bit that I guess cascades from that that I'm interested to unpack with you um, for a minute too is the role of support crews and teams. I know you work with a lot of teams. I know that your journey, I mean, you've mentioned your mum, your wife, uh, many of the people in your life that have played core roles in supporting you. I think what, what's your sense of the role that, that people alongside you on the journey play in, in making those things possible, in getting through the difficult moments? And I guess how have you um, built, fostered, cultivated that support crew around you and how are you that in the lives of other people? Yeah, I think that's a two-part answer. For me, the first part is the metaphor around a bad piece of fruit. You know, we, we know those people in our lives that suck the life out of us. We know the people that are going to taint us. We know the people that see a difficulty in every single opportunity as opposed to seeing an opportunity in every difficulty. Um, they're the people that look at a donut and wonder what happened to the centre piece as opposed to enjoying the round but we all know those people right holly we all know those people that suck the living life out of us and if we choose to spend our life surrounded by those people then they are going to bring us down the old saying is you hang around the scumbag you're going to turn into one so first i think it's really important that you identify people that are going to stretch you and challenge you and want to see you grow and see you succeed because, you know, it's amazing in the world that I live in now. I've, I've been fortunate enough to have a couple of big wins and, and the people that are your true friends uh, are there for you when the whole world walks out on you. And there are a lot of people that just hang along for the ride and, and want to just leech off you, you know. So I, I think firstly that it's important that you surround yourself with really good people and, you know, I think when I was doing a, a few shows on MTV over in the States and then a few things back here in Australia, I felt like I needed to be surrounded by lots and lots of people because if you turn on social media, then that's what you see. You know, you see these big parties with all their friends and all these people and I'm thinking maybe that's what I need. But then I tried to surround myself with a lot of people and the quality of the people weren't there. So the first thing I needed to do is really take a step back and go, what people do I need to be spending my time with? How can I have a positive impact on those people and what people can have a positive impact on me? So first I did a little bit of culling and getting rid of some friends that I didn't need. You know, yeah, I still I have like to catch up with them every that. now and then. I don't actually but, think we do enough how important that is to, to be alive to the fact that some people, you know, you've got to be strong enough to move on from people and things that no longer serve you. And there are, there's some toxicity that exists in people's lives that they tolerate. Yeah, and, I, you know, it's as sad as it is, but it's true. And I'm sure that people would agree with it. We do outgrow people. And it's not that I'm better than that person. I've just made a different choice than they have. So what my life and my journey and my path is compared to theirs, it doesn't mean that mine's better than theirs or mine's right and theirs is wrong. But we've just outgrown people. And the metaphor that I like to use is that if I've been born a chook, right? Let's say we've all been born chooks. And I've worked the last 30 plus years in working out how to fly. And I've trained and I've educated and I've invested and I've spent time and money and energy and passion to learn how to fly. Now, all of a sudden, I can fly. But all the people that have done absolutely nothing for the last 30 years, they want to yell at you and say, what the heck do you think you're doing? You can't fly. You're going to enjoy, enjoy the whole the, the filth and the squalor that we were brought up in. And then you think, okay, maybe that's all I do deserve. Yet I'm the one that's invested my time and my energy and my money in trying to serve me and make a greater impact on the world so we outgrow people and i think that it's important that if we do outgrow people we don't look down on the people that we've outgrown we still want to support them and guide them and help them as much as we can but we want to surround ourselves with the people that are positively going to have an impact on us and we can have a positive impact on them 
So that's the first part. But I think the second part, which has been really important for me, especially in those dark times, you know, because I still have those dark days and, and I still have those challenges. And, and as you know, with your travel and your schedule as well, there are many lonely nights in hotel rooms where you think, why am I doing what I'm doing? Oh, yeah. And I I've realized. about that one before we jumped on this podcast. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so I think that a great sign of strength as opposed to weakness is making the step to communicate with somebody. You know, get on the phone and speak to a counsellor, speak to a peer, a colleague, a friend, share how you're feeling because I think that that is the first step to transformational change because when you make that step, make that idea, make that phone call, that's when you say, hey, you know what, I I do deserve to live a great life and I'm going to make the choice to make the change to become the best version of myself. I love that. You've shared so many um, words of wisdom and advice with us today. I'm interested over all that you've heard from people, influences, things you've consumed. If, if you had to get a, a tattoo on you, you know, with the most significant advice that you feel has been, you know, so fundamental to shaping your, who you are as a person or your trajectory that you've been on, what would be that, that line or that bit of wisdom that really would reign supreme through, across all of them, I guess? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think there's plenty. And I think I'd have to have a sleeve tattoo. I'd be covered in ink. <laughs> You'd be covered uh, because in ink. <laughs> yeah, because there's been some rippers. But I've, uh, I've had way too many needles in my life from medication to get any tattoos. But yeah, I had a feeling that the might one, be the case. <laughs> yeah, the one, the one saying that I really like is do something today that your future self will be proud of. You know, that, that's something that I... I've thought of and discovered in my life. It's something that I share in every one of my presentations. And I think that it's something that we all must live by. You know, if we get out of bed every single day and we have a dream and a goal and a vision to make an impact on somebody else's life, but to actually do something every day that your future self will be proud of, the person that can reflect on their day when they lie in bed at nighttime and think, you know what, I'm really proud that I did that today. I'm proud that I made an impact on that person today. I'm I'm proud that I did the simple things that made a positive impact on the world. You know, I know that we all can't change the world, but we all have the ability to change one person's world. And I think that if we just have that passion to serve other people every day, it's remarkable. Not only the impact that we can have on others, but the impact that we can have on our own self-worth, knowing that we've made a positive impact. I love that you focus on the, the day-to-day accessible things as well as think about that really intentionally with the way that you've built your career too. And I want to ask you a little bit about that second part. You know, I know you're, you're an ambassador for a number of charities. You, you've written books. You've been involved in a variety of projects. You obviously speak all around the world. How do you make choices given the preciousness of not only your health and you've got to really look after that and, and protect it? And I know you're very, very focused on that. And obviously the preciousness of your, your beautiful young family. Um, how do you filter and determine what it is that you say yes to? What are the criteria that you look to when making decisions for where to put your time, effort and energy? Yeah, I think that I've, the first fundamental step for me was to understand the power of saying no. That was, that was real key for me because I was getting pulled from pillar to post and saying yes to everything. And the person that can serve me the greatest is the person that looks back at me when I brush my teeth. And if I'm not the best version of myself, then how can I be great for anybody else? So I've really learned to firstly to say no and and to really prioritize what's important. And the way that we prioritize what's important is we take the time to identify what is key in our lives. And as much as this may sound selfish, but 
my wife is not my number one priority. My son is not my number one priority. My career is not my number one priority. I am my number one priority because if I'm not in the best frame of mind physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, then I can't be a great husband. I can't be a great son. I can't be a great speaker. I can't be a great humanitarian. I can't serve the planet the best I can if I'm not the best version of myself. And the way I need to do that is make sure I get my time right. And the, and the most important part, I think, for all of us on this planet is to understand what recharges our batteries because I know this might be a little bit left field, Holly, but I think that we all have phones, right? Mm-hmm. And the way we recharge our phones is we do not turn them off of a night time. We plug them in. Mm. And if I was to just constantly turn myself off of a night time, then I'm physically never being recharged. I'm just turning off. So for me to be the best version of myself, I needed to identify what recharges my batteries which helped me prioritize what was important, which helps me make sure I serve the planet as the most effective Michael Crossland that I possibly can. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It really does. Absolutely. Uh, and I think that's, it's such an important thing. The day that I discovered, it felt like getting, you know, the, one of the biggest aha moments in my life was understanding this difference between managing time and managing energy and how profoundly mm-hmm. different it was to understand how to manage energy. And I think shifting to structure my life according to um, my own energy cycles and what you're talking about there, what recharges me, what do I need to do to be in the best version of myself for my partner, for my work that I'm doing, for the community, for the way that I want to show up for everyone I'm interacting with, you know, that, that was one of the biggest game-changing moments in my life. So I, I really strongly um, couldn't, couldn't concur more with what you've just shared there and, and the, the power of it and unlocking and spending the time getting to know what that is for yourself. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's just so important. And, we've, and we forget it because we try and be everything to everybody and we end up yeah. being no one to anyone. Yeah, isn't that the truth? Absolutely. Yeah. That's the best of intentions, right? Like it's, it's coming from a place of love and, and putting energy into others because we believe that that's what we should be doing and not realising that, you know, uh, the, the, the challenge over time is that we are depleting and diminishing ourselves and, and there only uh, comes so long or so far that we can do that for until uh, the, all of a sudden things start to fall apart a bit. That's right. So, Mike, I've got one final question for you before we wrap up. We love at Copy Pods to try and shift people out of this state of inspiration, uh, which, while important, doesn't mean the rubber hits the road, and try and get them to actually think about how they can move forward and take action. So, to your point, your life can change today if you choose to make a different, different choice, different decision. Having listened to everything that you've shared today, if you could leave our audience with a call to action, what would you encourage them to go do? Yeah, I, I think that, Shifting your mindset, retraining your brain is something that will definitely have a huge impact on your transformation. And what I mean by that is we we actually have the ability to retrain our brain and make it look at things differently. So um, as much as the call to action would be, I'd love for you guys to connect with me, obvious, but I would really love for you to do something that's going to really shift your mind. So Over the next 21 days, I challenge you each night before you go to bed, grab your journal. If you don't have a journal, go and buy a journal. But please don't go and buy a $2 journal or a piece of paper or a post-it note. (laughs) Actually go and invest money in a really nice journal that looks good, that feels good, that smells good, that makes you proud to write in with a really nice pen because you deserve it. And then over nighttime, you sit down and you write down three things that you're grateful for over the next 21 days. Over the next 21 days, that means you're going to write three things down, three different things every day for 21 days. Then all of a sudden, I guarantee you, your mind frame will shift 
and you will start focusing and trying every day to identify good things that are happening around you. When you're focused on identifying the good things that are happening around you, all of a sudden optimism and resilience starts to shine through from your core as opposed to resentment or aggression or anger. Um, then all of a sudden your mindset starts to shift and you start to live life with excitement and optimism and you really start to focus on all the good things that are happening in the world. You'll probably start to turn off the TV <laughs> and start listening to audiobooks and things that are going to actually fuel your soul with with positivity and power and energy so you can, again, become the best version of yourself. So that would be my call to action and challenge to everybody that's listening. I love that. What a great note to finish on. And you mentioned people connecting with you. What's the best way for people to reach out who've been inspired and, and want to hear more and, and know more? I'm on everything, social media, Instagram, <laughs> LinkedIn, uh, my website. I do have a book called Kids Don't Get Cancer. That's my autobiography. It's now a bestseller in six countries around the world and we donate all the profits to charity. So obviously, if you'd like one of them, grab it from my website. But um, Holly, you're an amazing human being and I am incredibly grateful for not only allowing me to share a little bit of my life with you and your listeners, but um, to have you as a friend and have you in my corner is a, is a remarkable privilege and a blessing. So uh, love you dearly and thanks for all that you do. Oh, you're very kind to say it. And thank you for not only taking the time to to talk with us today and share so much of your journey and be so open and raw about what you've been through, but for the work that you're doing week in, week out to bring inspiration, hope, belief to so many people out there throughout the world. Um, you know, one of the great joys of, of doing research for this podcast, even though I've known you for some time, is just watching uh, online the way that people write about you, mate, and, and the way that you've impacted them and met them and that your story has connected and allowed them to see possibility where they didn't think there was any uh, or to believe that they can, can reach beyond um, the reality of the situation they find themselves in now. So um, I just want to thank you for the way that you show up in the world and I look forward to continuing to watch the ripple effect that you create from this point forward. Very kind. Bless you, darling. Take care. Take care. Thanks, Michael. Thanks for listening. I hope you're feeling fired up to be the change that you want to see in the world. I'd love to hear about the impact you're having. So hit me up on social and let me know what you're working on. And if you've enjoyed the conversation, why not keep it alive and share it with someone in your world? I'm Holly Ransom. Let's grab a coffee again soon.